Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Seeker Plus again today. I am Trace, and today we are traveling back in time to when we talked about the calendar. Today we're going to talk about the day, and how the day became the week, and how weeks became months, and how months became years, and how all of that stuff came about. Because seriously, who decided there were 12 of this and 7 of that? It's super confusing and weird, and I love it. By the way, the reason it's all of those things is because humans make sense. So stick around for the next 40 minutes or so while we figure out exactly how long a day is in vibrations of cesium atoms, why some places have five days in a week, and actually, till pretty recently they did, and we're going to go all the way up to years on other planets. This is going to be a big episode, so we better kick into it. Here's a fact that you probably all know. There are 24 hours in a day, right? We've all learned that. And that is the amount of time it takes for the Earth to rotate on its axis one time. Easy. But that statement's not actually that true. It's only kind of true. And to understand it, you have to back up a bit. So the Earth spins on its axis in a counterclockwise direction. And it does so because of how the Earth formed. We've done this before. Maybe you remember from our formation series. 4.6 billion years ago, the solar system formed. It was a huge cloud of gas and dust, and it collapsed under its own gravity and started to spin toward the center of the solar system faster and faster and formed planets and flattened out into a disk and and all of these things. Some of those I set out of order, but they were all there. And these new formations inherited the spin from that rotating cloud of gas and dust that the formation of the solar system. So how long does it take for the Earth to rotate once. If you said 24 hours, you're close. But by Price is Right rules, you are out because it's only 23 hours and 56 minutes and you went over, my friend. This is the true measurement of rotation. It's called a sidereal day. And the sidereal is from the Latin word sidereus, meaning star, you know, etymology. You guys love it, I love it. This is because it's a measure of the Earth's rotation based on the star. It takes 23 hours and 56 minutes for a specific star to show back up in its exact position in the night sky again. So it's not 24 hours, but it's close. Many astronomers use the first point of Aries. The reason they use that point is because that's where the celestial equator and the celestial meridian intersect. It's similar to how the Earth has an equator and then a meridian that divides it into the hemispheres, you know, east and west, north and south. They have that also in the sky that's basically the zero point of the celestial sphere that's around the Earth. It's imaginary, but you got to pick, you know, a point somewhere. So why isn't the day 23 hours and 56 minutes long? Because even though all of that makes sense in a celestial sphere, we don't use the center point of Aries to measure our day. That extra four minutes comes into play because we look at the sun to measure our day. And as we're moving around the sun and spinning, the sun is kind of something we have to catch up to, right? Every day, we're going one 366th of a way around the sun. So as we turn, the sun isn't going to hit the exact same point every day. And it turns out to make up the difference is about four minutes. So thus we get a 24-hour day. So at one point, people used this system in their various cities around the world to calculate their local time at home. But if your city uses that, and so does the neighboring city, your times aren't going to match, right? So it would be noon where you are, and 12.05, a city an hour away, and then a different time, 12.10 or 12.15, a city even further away. 
And that's just not practical. This was before they had time zones and specifically set up chunks of area that would accommodate for a whole time period. In 1884, the Royal Observatory at Greenwich established that when the sun is due south at that spot in Greenwich, England, it is 12 noon. And that was considered Greenwich Mean Time, GMT. And the rest of the world based all of time off of Greenwich Mean Time. Congratulations, England, you've done it. But this is just how long it takes to rotate. Why did we divide it into 24 segments? Because really, the rotation is a natural process. It's organic. There's no division of 24 segments of the day. So why did we pick that number and not something, you know, like 10 or, you know, half of 24, 12 or 8 or, or something else or more, you know, 50? It's all thanks to the ancient Egyptians. Many historians credit them with dividing up the day first. They divided the day and night into 12 parts each. 10 parts were for day and night, one hour each for dawn and dusk. Why 12 is a little different. So they guess that Egyptians used 12s to count. See, you probably think that you have 10 fingers and thus 10 is the easiest way to count anything, right? Base 10. 10 fingers, 10 toes, it's easy. However, Egyptians, they believe, didn't use the number of fingers to count, but instead finger joints. So this means they have three in each finger. Like, look at your fingers. You got joints everywhere, right? That gets you base 12. Four fingers, excluding the thumb, three in each finger. And they use those knuckles to do the counting. Evidence dating back to 1500 BC shows that they developed a sundial that was divided up into 12. There are also evidences of water clocks dating back to 1400 BC, also divided into 12. And further evidence shows ancient Egyptians used a series of 12 different stars to keep track of their night. So the reason we have a 24-hour day is because the ancient Egyptians decided it and we just still use it today. But let's go a little deeper on this because the Earth's orbit again, is natural. And Egyptians didn't have fixed lengths to their hours. It was just divided, remember, the day and the night. So in the summer, you'd have longer hours during the day and shorter hours at night. 60-minute hours, that didn't come around until another group, the ancient Sumerians, one of the earliest sophisticated civilizations, and they emerged around 4000 BC in what is now known as Southern Iraq and later became Babylonia. Anyway, so Sumerians, they loved the number 60. We use base 10 for counting, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes. Ancient Egyptians, they use base 12 because of all their little finger joints. And Sumerians, they used base 60. They came up with 360 degrees in a circle and 60 times six, 360. So they divided up their day into 360 different parts, equaling about four minutes each. And one theory is that they estimated years as well, and that's why we got 360 days there. Or that the sun moves about one degree per day. Others think 60 was kind of the magic number because it can be divisible by one, two, three, four, five, and six. So kind of special in that way. 60 wasn't just special to one group of people. We still use it for a lot of things today. 60 was the common base number for time and angles and geographic coordinates and latitude and longitude. It was used by the Greeks in late BC and early AD. And around 150 AD, Claudius Ptolemy divided 360 degree lines of latitude and longitude into 60 smaller parts called minutes and then divided those 60 smaller parts into seconds. So that's where 
we get 60 minutes and 60 seconds, but it still wasn't a timekeeping thing. It was a navigational thing. And early clocks displayed hours in parts of two, three, or four, and sometimes 12. The first mechanical clocks to have 60 minutes in an hour, that wasn't until the 16th century. So that's pretty recent. As time went on, science took what we learned from all of these ancient people, the ancient Greeks and Sumerians and Egyptians, as well as people in China and others that were all trying to figure out how to measure this very natural period of rotation, and they created this specification for how exactly we should measure time. In the 1950s, that's when they invented atomic timekeeping. They used this system that was very human, very much a collaboration of all of humanity, and they created a system that said, okay, this is exactly how long a second will be. In 1967, the second was finally officially defined as 9,192,631,770 energy transitions or vibrations of a cesium atom. I know, really easy to remember. The International Bureau of Weights and Measures is the official world timekeeper. They keep the coordinated universal time. You can Google it. It's very easy to find. And this is why today we still use seconds, because we've measured them, we've got them figured out, and that is that. So there it is. That's a day. We came up with it kind of as a group. It definitely has a feeling of day by committee. And we broke it down literally into billionths of seconds based on atomic vibrations. Now that we know about a day and how long it is officially, how did we decide that there were seven days in a week, right? As we learned earlier, 12 was a big number, as was 60. But seven is also a very important number to ancient humans. Some credit that back to our friends, the Babylonians. Seven days equals seven important things in the sky. So let's count them off. We've got the sun. That's pretty important. We've got the moon, also important. And the five planets that you can see with the naked eye, Mars, Mercury, Jupiter, Venus, and Saturn. There are similar patterns seen in other ancient cultures outside of Babylonia, like China and Japan, because they can also see all seven of those things. Another theory is the Babylonians marked time with the moon. The first day of the month is a visible crescent moon. The seventh day is a waxing half moon. The 14th is a full moon. 21st is a waning half moon. And 28th is a visible crescent. So you would see that over and over again. And if you divide that up, that would explain why you would have a seven-day week. Seven, as a number, was also important in Judaism. Creation story, seven days. And that was possibly written about 500 BC during the Jewish exile in Babylon, which makes a connection back to the seven again. But the official seven-day week goes back to ancient Rome. They originally used an eight-day week called a nundinal cycle, I think. Let me know if I messed that one up. Uh, each day was represented by a letter, A through H. The eighth day would be a market day called a market cycle, where people would come into the city and they would buy eight days worth of goods, they would leave and they'd come back again on the eighth day. Over time, the seven-day week becomes more popular and talk about a mind job, you know what I mean? Like, imagine if you were used to the eight-day week, you just got to get a whole new calendar at that point. Officially, they adopted the seven-day week in 321 AD, and it was adopted by Emperor Constantine. Romans named days of the week after their gods and corresponded those, of course, with planets because the Romans thought of the moon and the sun as planets, which sounds a lot like the Babylonians. Sunday, Solus, based on the sun. Monday, Luna, based on the moon. Tuesday, Martis, based on Mars. 
so on and so forth. Because Constantine was Christian, he made Sunday the Christian official day of rest. He also made it the first day of the week, which isn't adopted all over the world today. The first day of the week is different in different countries. In the U.S., it's Sunday, but it's not the case in, like, Brazil, which is interesting because they're both based on Christianity, some would say. And Saturday was the Jewish day of rest. That was the last day of the week. But the days of the week went through another change. See, Germanic people, they put their own twist on the names for the days. Sunday and Monday were still named for the sun and the moon. But in some cultures, Sunday changed from the sun to translate to something similar to Lord's Day, again, because of the Christian Sabbath. And Tuesday was named after the Norse god Tyre. I might have mispronounced that. Let me know if you know better. And that corresponded to Mars. So again, still connections to the Roman day, but named after different things. Wednesday was another Norse god, Woden's day, connected to Mercury, although now in Germany it's Mittwoch, meaning midweek. I don't know what's going on there. Thursday is Thor's day, connected to Jupiter, as it was in Rome. And Friday was named for Odin's wife, Freya. But the Germanic and the Norse, they didn't change Saturday, which is interesting. They kept it named after Saturn. Others eventually changed it to fit other needs. The Spanish and French had Sabbath, and again, Saturday, the Hebrew Sabbath, and Dutch, they would have it be bath day. So all these different cultures would use the seven-day system and kind of tweak it to their own needs. And speaking of tweaking, the word week comes from the old Norse word vikja, meaning to turn. The seven-day week actually reaches back to about 600 BC, and it was spread by the influence of Rome because Rome spread so far across the Western world. The Christian church, because it became part of Rome in the Holy Roman Empire, also spread that influence of the seven-day week. And since they were the civilized group and they were imposing these ideas on top of all of these other cultures, we still use it today. Although some have tried to destroy it since, in 1929, the Soviet Union wanted a five-day week and six weeks in a month. They thought a seven-day week, that was too similar to what the religious nations were doing. And communists and the Soviet Union, they they didn't want any religion in there, so they thought a five-day week was better. But if you are smart and you've done the math on that, the five-day week and six weeks in a month doesn't add up to the full complement for a whole year. So the five missing days, that became five new holidays. In 1931, however, they went back to a six-day week. And in 1940, they went back to a seven-day week, which, again, just super confusing. For a little while, which I just think this is fantastic, the French used a 10-day week, just for a brief period, between 1793 and 1806. And then again, for some reason, in 1871. They were trying out metric time. The day was divided into 10 hours of 100 minutes and 100 seconds. That made 100,000 seconds in a day. The month were three decades of 10 days. It was just confusing. It did not work. Obviously, they only tried it for a little while. Eastman Kodak, the camera company here in the U.S., invented their own calendar. There's an amazing 99% invisible episode about that. If you haven't tuned in, go check that out. In modern times, however, we think of the week divided up into five workdays, with two off days, you know, work days and then a weekend. But many people used to work six days and then they would have Sunday off. And different cultures pick different days for their weekend. In Syria, the weekend starts earlier and because they don't need to worry about the same religious implications that parts of the West had to worry about. 
the weekend term was first coined in 1879 in an English magazine. In the 19th century, the Britons started using Sabbath days for enjoyment instead of religion. They'd, you know, party on Sunday, Sunday fun day, then they'd call in sick on Monday. So factory bosses compromised and gave them a half day off on Saturday so they could start their party a little early if they promised to come in on Monday. In 1908, the first American factory to give a full Saturday off was to accommodate Jewish workers, and the Great Depression may have made that two-day weekend permanent. As I already pointed out, this is based mainly in Western Christian nations or nations that have Christian influence. In Muslim countries, Friday is the beginning of their weekend because it's their Sabbath, and then either Thursday or Friday or Friday or Saturday would be their weekend. But it changes depending on where you are in the world, and I think that is so interesting. And I think it's even more interesting that the days come down to astronomy, where the formation of the week came down to how the planets and the sun mixed with religion and God and the Sabbath. But all of those things, all of those weeks, eventually had to be divided up and fit into months. But who are we honoring with months? If every day has meaning, what does every month mean? So 30 days, they make up a month, right? Except for the ones that are 31 and then the 28 one, and then there's that 29 every now and then. It's confusing. So let's figure this out. We learned that days come from astronomy, and a lot of weeks, they come from religious expression. Months, we're coming back to astronomy again. We talked about basing the week after cycles of the moon. That's where the astronomical months also come from. The month is a revolution of the moon around the Earth. Similar to how a day is the revolution of the Earth around its axis, you can also watch, you know, the ancient people on our planet could watch the moon transition through this full cycle over and over again. This is called a sidereal month, and it lasts 27.322 days. But remember, from the day calculations, the Earth is also moving around the sun during this whole process, so it takes a little time every day or every month to catch up to the moon's position in the sky. This is called a synodic month, or a lunar month. And that takes 29.531 days, or to put it in something that we've already defined, 29 days, 12 hours, and 44 minutes. But if there are 12 lunar months in the year, and you're really good at math and you're already ahead of me on this, it doesn't add up. That's only 354 days. That's 11 days short of the year of the sun, the solar year, the amount of time it takes the Earth to go from a single point on the orbit all the way back to that point. So this isn't a perfect system for breaking up the year. And I think if you've taken away anything from the first three episodes of this series is that all of this is based on the natural process of our solar system collapsing as gas onto itself and spinning at whatever rate that happened to be. And we're putting all of these numbers on top of it, which is just kind of mind-blowing. All of these different cultures on our planet have developed their own system for dividing the number of days in a solar year into the number of months in a solar year, as well as weeks. The Hebrew calendar had a 13th month, and every 3rd, 6th, 8th, 11th, 14th, 17th, and 19th year of this 19-year cycle, they would add that month in. That's not confusing at all. Other people handled it differently. Going back to Babylonia, one of those early cultures that started trying to figure all of this out, they had 12 months that alternated between 29 and 30 days. And this was seen even before 2000 BC. Months would start with the first crescent moon. 
Egyptians actually had three different calendars, one being for the lunar year, and that was used to track your holidays, one being an administrative calendar, which was 12 months of 30 days, keeps things very regimented and easy. Then you had a leftover five days at the end of the year. Those were called Annus Valgus. They were the bad luck days. That was Latin for wandering year, and, you know, got out of sync with the solar calendar. It was bad. It was a messed up time of year. Then they had the third calendar, which matched the lunar cycle. They're trying to fix the problems of this wandering calendar, but it didn't quite work, so they used different calendars for different things. Ancient Rome, they divided their year into 10 different months, totaling about 304 days. Again, not adding up. They just left out 61 days in the winter. They're like, it's just another day of winter. Can't wait till the calendar starts again. That's just really weird. Then in 703 BC, the king of Rome added two months to get it up to the 12 months of the year and make it 355 days. Still not perfect, but close. 45 BC, the Julian calendar was invented, named for Julius Caesar, used with the solar year, kind of leaving the lunar cycle behind, and that got us 365 days with a leap day in February. That was in 45 BC. Like the Egyptians, the Romans knew that a full year was 365 days and six hours. They knew that. And February was chosen because they had made it the shortest month. The month names are also interesting because they have religious and astronomical origins as well. January was named after the Roman god Janus. February was named from the Latin Februarius, the purification feast. Again, still don't know why there's that weird R in there. That's so messed up. March was named after the planet Mars. March, Mars. April is Latin for Aprilis, but nobody really knows why. It's actually a mystery. Some think it was named for Aphrodite, and nobody really knows for sure. May was after the god Maya, daughter of Atlas. June was the Roman goddess Juno, wife of Jupiter. And this is where things really get fun, because in the original Roman calendar, March was the first month of the year. Put a pin in that. That's important. July was originally named Quintilis, meaning fifth, because July was the fifth month of the year. But after Julius Caesar died, it was named for him. That's why it got the name July. August was originally the sixth month, so they named it Sextilis. It was named for the Roman emperor Augustus later, and thus became August. September yeah, I think you see where this is going. That's the seventh month, septum, October. October is the eighth month. November is the ninth month, NOV. And December was the 10th month, or decim. So when it was a 304-day, 10-month year in that calendar, there was no January. There was no February. Those were added later in 700 BCE. And that shifted all the months around, so March was no longer the first month of the year, which threw off all of the original meanings. And that's why it's so confusing that September... The seventh month is not even close to the seventh month. Today, there are different calendars in different cultures with different month names and different days per month. The Persian or Iranian calendar, they don't have leap years. They base their 366-day years on the timing of the equinoxes. We've already went over the Hebrew calendar with some years having 13th months, and the Tongan calendar kind of does the same. The Sikh calendar called, I probably will butcher the pronunciation on this, but Nanakasahi calendar, that has five months of 31 days, followed by seven months of 30 days, and a leap year every four years adds a day to the last month. There are so many calendars. Because to be honest, the difficult things to organize are not the months. 
because it's really just dividing the number of days in a year, and those two things we know how to calculate. Different ways for different cultures to keep time, however, is super fascinating because it means that we look at the world completely differently. There are patterns in calendars as literal interpretations of the seasons, of weathers changing and harvests happening. In ancient Germanic calendars, the month of May was thrimulus, meaning the month of three milkings, because spring was here and grass was good and you could milk your livestock three times a day. Old calendars had months named for planting crops and slaughtering livestock and months saying it would be cold or mild or snowy or frozen or whatever. Some cultures, of course, went religious with their naming. Some went with leaders who had died, and they named them after constellations and stars. Go look into this stuff if it interests you at all, because it is so cool that we had to, like, cut ourselves off while researching it. Like the rest of the planets in the universe, the Earth is going all around the sun, you know? It's, it's all around there in an orbit. Why? Because the Earth is not as heavy as the sun. The sun is in the middle because it's got so much mass, and we just fly around it. The sun holds 99% of the mass of the whole solar system. I mean, it's, it's huge. Basically, what we're saying is lighter things revolve around the heavier things, or orbit the heavier things, right? Our moon goes around us. A satellite can go around the moon or us or the sun. Those things are all more massive. The biggest reason anything has to orbit something else comes back to gravity. Gravity from the sun pulls on the planets like Earth's gravity pulls on us. And since the sun is the biggest thing in our solar system, it exerts the biggest gravitational pull. The Earth isn't pulled into the sun or doesn't fall into the sun because it's moving so fast that every time it falls toward the sun, it's not there. So instead, it just orbits around it. Now, the sun's gravity and the inertia of the Earth moving are balanced because if one had a bigger force, then it wouldn't work out. We wouldn't be orbiting. And the formation of the Earth determined the number of days in our year. All of this random rotation and all of these velocities and things were figured out just through a natural chaos. The speed of the Earth gave us the specific time that we orbit the sun. But the mass of the sun also affected how much speed we needed to get the orbit that we have. On top of that, the other planets in our solar system affect the speeds of each other because they all have their own gravity. They all have different sizes. They all have different masses. They're all at different distances from the sun. So their days are different. And the 365-day calendar is thought to have started with the Egyptians based on the velocity of the Earth as it goes around this massive thing in the center of our solar system, although they didn't necessarily know that. They saw the star Canis Major, and it rose next to the sun every 365 days. This also synced with the rise and fall of the Nile River. Their 365-day calendar that they figured out started in 4236 BCE the earliest known recorded year. Other areas have been also recorded as using 365-day calendars, the Mayans, the Babylonians, and uh, it looks like the Egyptians even knew that there was a quarter of a day tacked onto the end of that 365, uh, extra six hours. But they never quite figured out how to implement a leap year. They never implemented one. So let's bring this all back a little bit, right? We earlier talked about Julius Caesar and the Julian calendar. They created a 365-day system, and they recognized that there was a leap day every four years that needed to kind of tweak the calendar back and forth. 
And that seems pretty smart because they did this really early on in like 45 BC or something. But it was actually wrong. It wasn't entirely accurate because the year is not actually 365 days and six exact hours long. It's 365.242199 days. 242199. That's very specific. And they came about this calculation using a variety of different astronomical methods, observing exact positions of stars, and they could do this even hundreds of years ago with pretty rudimentary equipment as long as the observations were accurate. So the difference between 365.242 and 365.25 may not seem like a lot, but it actually works out to about 11 minutes. And over a long period of time, those 11 minutes are going to add up. You know, six years later, it's a little over an hour. By the year 1000 AD, this miscalculation by the Julian calendar added seven days to the year. And by the 1500s, it had added 10 days. So the Julian calendar was pretty flawed, and they realized it, and Pope Gregory XIII fixed it, or got it fixed, and they created the Gregorian calendar. The Roman Catholic Church got involved because holidays were all messed up. And when you're worshiping a god, you need to make sure that the holidays are right. That's what my mom always used to say. They started dropping 10 days from October of that year, and then they fixed the leap day problem. So it wasn't every four years. Now, the leap year is it's still every four years, except, you ready for this? Because you probably didn't know it. If the year is divisible by 100, like 1900 or 2100, but if the year is also divisible by 400, then you don't skip it, like in the year 2000. This makes us lose three leap days every 400 years, and thus the problem has been fixed. But again, it's still not perfect. No matter how much we try, we're trying to put constraints on a natural rotation. The Gregorian year is still half a minute longer than the actual solar year, which means will be shifted a day in 3,300 years. Of course, by then, maybe we won't need to worry. Maybe we'll have, you know, just fix the Earth's rotation or something. Most countries adopted this calendar. Catholic countries like Italy, Portugal, Spain, they did it right away. England and the colonies did it in 1752. Sweden in 1753. Japan in the late 1800s. China in the early 1900s, as well as the Soviet Union and Greece. Other countries, they use a combination of both. The Chinese calendar, they use the Gregorian calendar, but they use a lunar calendar for holidays. Most Muslim countries have their own systems, and 12 months is still pretty standard, but the year might be 10 or 11 days shorter, depending on how their leap year math works out. And this is just a year on Earth. What about other planets? How do we figure out years on those? I mean, we can barely grasp how much time we're spending zooming around the sun on our own planet. And yet Mercury's year is 88 Earth days. But one day on Mercury is 175.96 Earth days. Because it takes a long time for that thing to rotate. Mars is 687 Earth days for a year. Neptune is 164.8 Earth years to orbit the sun one time but its rotation around its axis is only 16 Earth hours, meaning 89,666 days occur every Neptunian year. On the other end of the spectrum, like planet PSR 1719-14b, they orbit so fast that a year is about two Earth hours. They are 250 times closer to their sun, so it's very, very far away, obviously, but very hot. I'm going to end... Uh, on something a little bit bigger, though. Something a little more philosophical. The galactic year. Have you ever thought about this? Our whole solar system is moving 
throughout the Milky Way. We're on one of the arms of this spiral galaxy. And there will come a point where our solar system will orbit all the way around the center of our galaxy and back to where it started. And this journey takes our sun 225 to 250 or so million years, traveling about 800,000 kilometers an hour, or about 500,000 miles an hour. So have you ever wondered, one solar year, if you will, or galactic year, is almost 250 million years. That's pretty cool. The whole history of humanity, we've probably not even gone a galactic month. Somebody should figure out galactic months. That would be really cool. So there it is. Day, week, month, and year, how they were calculated, how they were named and adjusted throughout the last 6,000 years of human history. And it's pretty crazy, like everything that humans do. Thanks so much for hanging out with me here on Seeker Plus. Just a reminder, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. All you got to do is look for Seeker. And for more shows, you can find us there and on Seeker.com. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Wherever you are getting this podcast, take a second. Give it a like, a rating, a share, and subscribe. This episode was written by Brian Pendergast while I was out of town in the Arctic Circle, which is pretty awesome on both counts, and myself, Trace Dominguez, once I was back in town. Once again, thanks for listening to Seeker Plus. We'll be back next week with more science stories. 